We're reading from Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20 this morning. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word, for the privilege of studying it. Pray you would write its truths on our hearts. Pray that we would grow in our desire to follow you in every way that you would have us go. In Christ's name, amen. Today we are um, looking at Jesus calling his first disciples, uh, there will just be four uh, mentioned today, and as a result, we'll kind of talk about what it means to be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus, and hopefully that will come out and you will think about that more clearly. Really, when you think of a disciple, you could think of it in the, you know, one, maybe as an apostle, like the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples, or you could think of it more broadly, which today we'll be speaking more broadly of that uh, in a lot of the application, because we're thinking of being a disciple is the same as being a follower of Jesus, the same as being a Christian. And so uh, I think it's important for us to understand that, because we are in a country where um, some would call America a, a Christian nation, and the reason that they would do that is because there are a high percentage of people that still identify with Christianity. And so uh, if you were to look up in the Pew Research Center, Protestants, there are like 40% of the population, 29% of the population is like unaffiliated with uh, anything. They kind of are called nuns. Sometimes people say that. 21% Catholic, and then you kind of go down from there. But because of that, people will say something like, uh, you know, it's a Christian nation. Um, if you study uh, some of the history of kind of what's going on, in the present, you'll find out that membership uh, in houses of worship has fallen since uh, 1999 from 70%, and then in 2020 it's down to like 47%. So there's a decline in people uh, regularly gathering uh, for worship. And um, uh, the uh, one Gallup poll, they say that the church or organized religion has declined significantly since the 70s. And so... Um, I would be curious as to see what between 2020 and 2023 what that looks like. Uh, because if you kind of study that and think about that or you just visit with people, you'll find out that there's just a lot of decline going on in that regard. And so when we think about someone that is a Christian or a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ, I think it's important for us to consider what is that. Because uh, just because you answer in a poll, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean you're a Christian. 
That's just a reality that we need to understand and need to grapple with. And so uh, what we need to think about today is that um, our culture is very much, it's, it's very easy to join things. That, that's just a reality in our culture. You can join uh, Facebook and have instant friends or whatever you want to do. Or you have join something and you have followers or whatever it might be. Joining things is something that is very common uh, in our world. And we have, uh, if you were to look at the, uh, all of the passwords in my password protection kind of thing or whatever, I mean, there's probably a hundred and something passwords and stuff, you know, because there's all of these things that somehow or another or at one point in time I was involved in and they're just, I'm just lo- loaded up with all of those things. But when you think about Christianity and you think about what it means to follow Christ, it is not just like you're, you have membership in something or you're paying a monthly fee to something, which some of you may have, you know, $200 a month in monthly fees that you pay. Or it's not really, Christianity is not really a thing where it's, it's like uh, I am a Christian and then I'll take a break from that. You know, like some people are like, take a break. I need to take a break. Well, Christianity is not a take a break from that. Following our Lord is not a take a break. I don't take a break from him. And I don't take a break from his people. Because he has called us into his body. Uh, into to a relationship with his people. When you think of someone entering in in baptism, they are entering into the covenant family of God the people of God they are identifying with the people of God and as they take the Lord's Supper every week they are continuing in that faith relationship with Jesus Christ but also with the body of believers the church and so I think it's important that we understand that Acts eleven twenty six says and when he had found uh, him he brought him to Antioch speaking of Paul For a whole year they met, this is Paul and Barnabas, with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Why? Because they were followers of Christ. Their their lives were identified with the Lord. And so I think it's important that we understand that and we grasp that. Following Jesus, being a believer, being a Christian... All of those things, those are all like synonymous terms. And so I think it's just important that you and I say to ourselves, like, where are we in relationship to him? Do we know him? Are we walking with him? What does that look like? Well, we'll certainly be walking with his people. That's, that's a clear thing. We will live a life of repenting and believing, as we talked about last week. We will commit our time, resources, and talents to the things of Christ. It it just, it's, that is part of it. It's, it's a whole life change. Repentance is a change of life. I go from trusting in, relying on, finding my satisfaction in things that will never satisfy to trusting in and following the Lord Jesus Christ for all of my life. So I think it's just important that you and I both understand that today that that we are talking about following Jesus, not just claiming to be a Christian. Remember, in Mark, the gospel appears in the person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There are witnesses to that. 
John the Baptist, the prophets, the Father, and the Spirit. Last week, we talked about as his public ministry came to fruition, you see the when, where, and how, and then the what of Jesus' public ministry. What was the message? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then repeat. That's what we said last week. And then repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And you are following the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king. You are a, if you are a subject of his kingdom, you will follow him all the days of your life. You are not taking a break from him. He is your Lord. He tells you what you ought to do. And not only that, he's a benevolent king who wants best for you. And so whatever he tells you to do is not for your uh, demise or for some difficulty in your life, but for your good. So he's calling you to follow him, and he's calling you to follow him, but you know that all along the way in the Gospel of Mark, he is going to, to the cross to die for his people and then come forth resurrected, and they continue, of course, following him as he leads and guides them all throughout um, the rest of the, the history of the world and beyond. And so today we're talking about, again, the following aspect of or our concept of following Jesus, which we see in this text. So look at the example. So in light of that, as we think about following Jesus, the example are two uh, sets of disciples here. And we first have Simon and Andrew. So look at verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Now this is not the first time they had heard about Jesus. If you were to uh, just note 135 through 42, we understand that they had had some kind of encounter and some knowledge of Jesus. And so you could go back and look at that. And so they're familiar with him. But this is unique in that he is calling them. He's calling them to himself. He is saying, follow me. As you kind of think about what's going on here, you see he is at the Sea of Galilee, which tells you where he's at in the northern region of Israel. Uh, if you were to go to the Sea of Galilee and look at it, it's not that large of a place. It's uh, seven miles wide and 13 miles long. So it's not a huge, we think of it as a sea, but it's, it's a smaller uh, place. But it, is, it was central to the first century, and there are many things that you could learn about it. Josephus uh, said of it, it had pure uh, sweet water and many species of fish. The soil around it was fertile. The weather was nice. Uh, you could produce fruit uh, there and, and different produce uh, 10 months out of the year. So it's a, it's a really nice place that they lived. It's a pleasant place to live. Uh, there was great like economy surrounding that. And so these two, Simon, who will be later be called Peter, and Andrew were casting their nets. And they were fishermen, which makes sense in that area. So we're going to kind of flesh that out. But I just want you to think about a few things about them. They would take uh, basically like a circular net, and they would toss it into the water. You would have on the, the outside of that net like little rocks and they would be tied on so that when you flung it into the water, it would drop down to the bottom and uh, the rocks would kind of capture the fish there. And uh, then I, I read one person say this week that they would have to kind of dive down, pull, put those rocks together and then drag the net back out. Um, I don't, when I think about that, I've thought about catching shad, but anyway... 
you'd have a circular net, you'd throw it out, and those weights would kind of capture everything. You could just take a rope and pull it back to you. But in this case, uh, when I read about some of the historical stuff, that seems like they may have kind of dove down and done that. But at the end of the day, these are not just men that uh, don't have, like, uh, legitimate jobs or, like, they're just kind of out just fiddling around, like, well, that'd be nice to follow Jesus. I mean, they're, they're a part of the uh, economy and the industry there. Uh, there were something like 16 ports uh, on the Sea of Galilee, even though it's not that large. And uh, there were so many fishing boats that um, it, Josephus was able to commandeer like 230 of them during a war in 68 AD. So some of the background kind of helps you understand that, that this is central. And fish was central to their diet. It was central to the diet of a lot of people in other regions. And so these people were uh, a part of the economy. They were building successful businesses. And so they're moving through life in a very pleasant place in a uh, in their building their business and their life there and so the reality is when you look at that you say um, this call is something that's going to be costly to them that that's just just to kind of think in terms of that it's not saying that they did not long to follow the king it's just saying that like the cost is something that is significant Jesus will say that if you want to be not my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. These guys would lay down their lives for the gospel. And so I think it's just helpful for us to say, you just know that when you are thinking about following Jesus, there is a counting of the cost. And there's also this idea that you, you, you say, like it, it's, um, it's both a costly thing and then it's like, the most amazing thing you could imagine. Because what happens is uh, the Scripture Jesus will talk about uh, in the Scripture a parable of someone who sells everything he has to, to get that pearl of great price, to experience relationship with God through our Lord Jesus. And so we understand that, but I just want you to kind of get that in your mind. Following Jesus is something that caused them to, to, when he speaks to them, look in verse 17, he says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So they had to pick up and go. There was no like waiting. There will be people that Jesus will say, well, you can follow me. And they'll be like, well, what, what's the, the, can I wait until, you know, I take care of this thing or that thing? And Jesus will say, no, you follow me now. It's a direct command. And so we see that in them. We see this life of, of really turning away from the things that they had been doing and turning to the Lord in obedience. Matthew 10, 16-20 says, Jesus speaking to his disciples later, said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent, serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver over you over, do not be anxious how you, to, how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So you just have to understand, when they're being called, they are called into service of the King, and it is a costly service, again, although they would not trade it. They would not trade it. And so I think it's just a, a valuable thing for us to see. They will go on to be an ambassadors throughout the whole world. 
And then you have James and John called, verse 19 and 20. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately called them. And they left their net, their their father, sorry, Zebedee, in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. So what, what do you see here? You see not just leaving the nets, which they do do when they're mending their nets, they'll drop those, but also they're leaving their father. And for some people, you have different relationships with your father. This may not mean that much, but they're working with their father all of the time. Their family business is kind of there. You see there's hired servants. Again, we're not talking about people that have nothing else to do. It's not like a, sure, I'll follow. That sounds like a fun thing for the moment. But it's something that they actually, they're leaving something. They're leaving uh, the, the, the history. They're leaving the comfort. They're leaving the, 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 the resources. They're, they're listening to the voice of the Lord and they are obeying His voice. Some of you, um, and I've watched even parents where they uh, would struggle with saying uh, maybe their kids called to the mission field and they would say, but hold on just a second. You know what? Like we had big plans for you. We were trying to make sure that you had, you know, everything that the whole world has to offer. And I actually seen people like push their kids back from serving the Lord in, on the mission field because they were concerned that following or obeying the voice of the Lord would be too costly. Jesus calls them, and he, they are leaving behind all of the comfort and all of what it means to be in their family in the sense of the comfort and the protection and all those things, provision, and he calls them in this way. The other thing that's interesting here is it's different. He's doing this uh, where people would follow like, uh, leaders in that time period, maybe a rabbi or something. And it was kind of like uh, they might say, oh, I like what that rabbi is saying. I'll just follow him around. But Jesus here is saying, you follow me. He goes after them. He pursues them and calls them to himself. It's a unique thing. It, they, it, one author said, Jesus entails a risk of faith and a faith that must be an act before it is a content of belief, meaning they knew some about him, but they were not like, y'all go get prepared, get your degree in Jesusology, and then come follow me. It wasn't that. It was called, follow, and then they're going to be taught. And so they won't know everything that is to be known, you could say. Now, we have those examples here of following Jesus, and then you kind of could come away with some principles, and that's kind of what I thought we would spend a little time thinking about today. So first is following Jesus means forsaking anything else. It means that the work he has for them to do is more important than anything else in their life. Remember, this follows that concept of repent and believe, changing direction and believing and trusting him, forsaking all, all that they could see, all that they had hoped in, all that they trusted and they're following him. They were believing, really, what we would see in John 1, the, the witness of John the Baptist. So they're leaving those things. It's a life-altering situation here. And again, it looks like repentance and faith. 
And I'm not saying, you just kind of have to, because sometimes it can be like, if I follow Jesus, what's it going to cost me? And in one sense, it does cost you everything, but on another level, you gain everything. You, you know, it's like you're holding on to everything that you think is like going to give you hope and trust and value and all those things, and yet those things really are just kind of like broken cisterns. They're empty. They will not fill you. They will not satisfy you. They will not protect you. You don't want to do that. We don't want to live in such a way as that would be the case. And so there's something very wonderful about being a part of this special band of servants. And they were a little bit, as we'll see, they didn't understand all that that came with, you know, at the time. But we don't either. I mean, that, that's the deal. You don't either. Like when you hear the call of the gospel and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't understand everything about him, nor do you understand all that that will cost you. It is a reality that we under, we kind of kind of get the, the knowledge of those things as we move along. And for some of you, you know what that cost is like. Matthew 10, 34-39, again, Jesus explaining things to his disciples says, do not think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've, come to, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you see in this text, like when you're looking at it, is there are costs. You can't put your family above Christ. I mean, that, that's an important thing to say. You can't put your family above Christ in His kingdom. You can't put building your own life and your livelihood in your family and all those things and say that is the most important thing. Following Jesus is a commitment to Jesus and to Jesus alone in the sense that you are first and foremost committed to following Him. Does that mean that He wants you to abandon your family? No, it just means that if it comes between you and your family, which we've watched this, Anna and I have talked about this a lot, even adults that get older, and they're sitting there at 60 or 70 years old, and their kids begin to rebel against Christ, and they side with their kids, and not Christ. Why? Because they treasure their kids more than they do Christ. That's why. And that is a frightening place to be. Because at the end of the day, your kids are not your Savior. They are not your hope. They are not your future. They are not what you're building your life on. And he's saying the same with parents. There are people I've known that their parents like carried so much stroke in their life that they could do nothing but what their parents thought they should do. And so everything was centered around daddy or mommy or whoever. And Jesus is calling them, you see in this case, these disciples uh, to follow him at ult like in an ultimate way, even if it costs you some of your relationships. 
there are going to be people in your family that do not love Jesus, and therefore it will be trouble for you as you identify with him. Now, another thing just to say is following Jesus. So we got their, their example, but now we're just saying, what are some of the principles? The second principle would be this. Following Jesus was a call to go man fishing. And I, there was a book I read, that's what it was titled, Man Fishing. I thought, that's an interesting book. Like, I never really, I would have never really thought of it being called that, you know. But it, it's like being a disciple-making disciple. Listen to that. Being a disciple-making disciple. That would be in your family. That would be outside your family. That is wherever you go, a disciple-making disciple. It's saying that you're going into the world. They, they casting your net, spiritually speaking, to reach the lost. You're slinging that net. And that could be on Sunday morning teaching a class of children about the gospel. That can be me up here preaching. That can be somebody that works with you or for you in the workplace. That could be in your family worship as you're explaining the gospel to your children. All of those things, it's, it's an all-of-life casting of the net. It's an all-of-life sharing the gospel. It's hoping to get in your heart and your mind that you are not just called, listen, you are not just called but commissioned. To be called is to be commissioned. I, I, I remember growing up meeting people that have told me before, you know, well, we just were told to bring people to church, but really there's an element to where you gather here to get rooted and grounded in the gospel and you scatter to go and make disciples. Every week you gather and you're trained up in those things and you scatter to go out and, and share the message of Christ with others. The Scripture says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's on the day of Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is what we are called to do. You are called and commissioned. Don't ever think that you... Some people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't speak about my faith. I'm a Christian. I don't want to share things about Jesus. I don't want to talk that much about it. It's a private thing to me. It's too private for me. The deal is He did not call you. For it to be private to you. It is not a trophy you put up over there and set up and say, I'm going to keep it to myself. That is not what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who has been commissioned to go out and lead other people to Christ. Mark believed that. He is explaining that to you. He is saying to you, follow Him. And you are going to begin the process of reaching out to the lost. It is not easy to speak with people about weighty matters. For some of you, it's not easy to speak to people about anything. You know, it for some of you, it is going it would be like a step of faith to actually interact with someone. 
But we are not just to interact with people. But we are to be an ambassador of the king. 2 Corinthians 5.17-20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm just going to stop and say to this. A Christian is someone who's in Christ. A Christian is one who is a follower of Jesus. Right? If you are in Christ, if you've been united to Him, you are a new creation. What does that mean? You have been born again by the Spirit. You who are, were dead in your sins have been brought to life. You've been regenerated. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you've been reconciled to God, you are a reconciler. In your home, if you've been reconciled to God, you are a reconciler. You are, you are trying to present before them as little Christ, as ones who have been empowered by His Spirit, you're trying to model uh, Christians. That's kind of the idea. Some people would explain it that way. It's like you are now empowered by his spirit. You are leading other people to believe in him. You're, you're a messenger of that. You're the messenger. You're the ambassador. You're the representative of Jesus. Maybe that's a better way to say that. You're a representative of the kingdom. You, you are looking to others, and when you go out into the world and you're looking at them, you're saying like, I, you know, when you see an ambassador, uh, they, they look the part. They speak the part. That's, that's the idea there. And they are doing what they need to, both in their words and their actions and their lives and the way that they love and the way that they give and the way that they serve. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself and gave us that ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making us appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As one who has been reconciled, you are now going out as an ambassador of the message of the kingdom. You're calling people to put their faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, to identify with Him in baptism, and to walk with Him all the rest of the days of their life. Followers are netcasters. Followers are seed throwers. Sometimes I become insensitive or unaware, I don't know, and I just don't even think about those things. And it's scary to me to think, why would I not see opportunity? Lately, that's one of the things I've seen just over and over, multiple opportunities that the Lord's just put before me, just kind of, I don't know if you call it prompting or whatever, in a variety of conversations where it's just like, and I think, like, would that be normal if I was more sensitive 
to what's going on around me. If I was thinking about the king and his kingdom, if I thought about that people who are not identified with Christ, who are not a part of his kingdom, will be damned and they're going to hell. If I was thinking about that, would it be easier for me to move forward to interact with somebody about the gospel of the kingdom? The answer is yes. And we as followers are not only following Jesus, which may be uh, at times it's very costly and at times it's certainly difficult. There's a great delight in that, but also not only are we following him, we're following him in the way in which he lived his life, which was to go and reach people with the gospel. Now, you say, does that mean everybody's going to have a change of address? The answer is no. The early church had traveling people and then people that lived their whole life in one place, ministering the gospel there. Great benefits to that. Does that mean I'll change my occupation? No, not necessarily. It, it's, it is the platform. There are times where there are more witnessing opportunities in your daily interaction, in your job, than you could ever get anywhere else. Because you have relationships there. You have a platform there. You have people there. You have people watching your life there. People that see how you live, what you love, what you treasure. People that, that have conversations with you about every level of their life. People that are going through all types of struggles, fears, anxieties, all that stuff. It is a platform for you. So following Christ is something, it's a journey. It's both wonderful and frightening. It is a call that Jesus, when He calls you, it is something where you are to come. It is immediate. It is not, I will do it when I have time. When there's like uh, not anything else going on. Or maybe when I'm not that busy in the summer. I'm off from school. I'll follow Jesus. It's not that. He calls you to Himself. And when you see Him call someone to Himself later throughout the New Testament, they will all be called the called. Christians will be called the called. Those who've experienced the call. They've been called to the Lord. Romans 8.30 says, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. The call would carry them throughout the rest of their life. And the call, called, you could say, are the ones who are out calling people. Calling out to those in distress. Calling out to those in darkness. Calling out to those who have no hope. Calling out and telling them that the King has come and the King will return. That He came, He lived, He died, He was buried, He rose again, and He's going to return to bring all of His people together to Himself and restore order to everything. And so we do that. We call out to others. We're commissioned. We're the called who are commissioned. Again, we've read this, I read this earlier, but Matthew 28, 18-20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. So, for you... When you think about your role 
as one who is called and who is calling out. Are you seeking to be a disciple-making disciple? Are you casting the net? Are you someone who on a regular basis, and I, I think it's important to you just stop and consider, what all has God done for me here? If you're gathered with this church, you think, what's happened here? Well, what happens here is we teach the message of the Bible over and over in a very consistent and clear way so that you can be uh, uh, conversa- like somebody that can go into conversations and speak clearly about the things of God. We work at that over and over and encourage you to do that. We put you around other believers and we meet in small groups where we talk about the application of living a life of following Jesus and making Him known. And we seek to put you around those that you can like look up to. And so we're training you in those things. We're giving you examples of that. You say, well, I don't know how to witness to my children. Well, do what we do. Do what we do in here. Do what we do in uh, community groups. And do that at home. We read and pray and sing. I've been telling you that for years. That's what our family does. Every night, we read, we pray, we sing. About what? About the Gospel. We are witnessing to our children every night. We are proclaiming the message of the gospel every night. We are praying for God to save them every night. We come here every week in this service to say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We set that before you. It is life. We go to small groups and we sit down together and we have studied the gospel of the mark and we sit down and say, here's what it says. Believe it. And we're doing all these things so that you can be a disciple-making disciple. We want your family to be a family of disciple-making disciples. We want this church to be disciple-making disciples. We want this community to be impacted by disciple-making disciples. We want the world to be transformed. By disciple-making disciples. And we're doing this in a way to help you grow in that. The Apostle Paul, speaking of that call to be a disciple-making disciple, a follower, a Christian, said, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You by Your grace and for Your glory, would raise up followers here. Not false converts, not fake Christians, but genuine, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-regenerated people who believe the Gospel, who treasure it, who understand what it means to be called of God and then commissioned 
We ask that you do that and that you would lead and guide them into the dark places, into the, 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 light, the places where there's light but not needs to be more, into every place and every spot throughout the places that you lead them and guide them. We ask you would do that. And you would do that with this church and you would use them in a powerful way for your glory, for your name. In Christ's name, amen.